The Houston Texans are seeing success on the field and chaos at the ownership level. Netflix is rounding up NBA stars for a docuseries. Plus, we're diving into some of the big stories happening in football with ESPN's Matt Miller. It's Thursday, January 11th. I'm senior writer Owen Poindexter, and this is Front Office Sports Today. The Houston Texans could be looking at an ownership dispute. Joining me now to discuss is Front Office Sports newsletter co-author Eric Fisher. Welcome, Eric. Hello. So the Texans are one of the feel-good stories this year on the field, but things are getting thorny in the owner's booth due to a dispute within the McNair family. Uh, What's going on here? Yeah, so Janice McNair, the uh, widow of Bob McNair, who originally got the Texans expansion franchise, she's a controlling owner of the team. She's 87 years old has four children. One of the children, Robert Carey McNair, has uh, made a court petition to get guardianship of her and her estate and have her declared incapacitated. And sort of it's a big power move. He is not the son who's um, running the team. Another one of the other children, Cal McNair, is the chair and CEO of the team. Um, Cal McNair is opposing this bid by his brother. Uh, Janice McNair is opposing this bid for guardianship. And so we basically have family member against family member here. And uh, we've seen a lot of this in the NFL over the years. But again, this particularly arised at a delicate time for the Texans because, again, they're, they're a feel-good story. They've been bad for several years. And now they're going to be hosting a playoff game. And, and this is happening. Yeah. And other than, you know, this... Um, this one son trying to, you know, presumably just wanting the team or, or wanting control for what, whatever reasons. Is, do we know anything about the timing other than, you know, maybe something with the, the health of Janice McNair? Not really. Um, I, again, I think uh, just the raw age is a factor here. Again, she's 87 years old. Um but there's been a move to seal a lot of these records, and Janice McNair has made a move to particularly to uh, seal a lot of the public court records, saying that this is going to create an, um, you know, an undue stir around the team. And indeed, we're talking about it right now. Um, but to answer your question, no, we don't have right now. Um, because the the Robert Carey McNair side of the equation has not been delineated in the court papers. And even if it does, it may end up getting sealed. We don't have a full sense of what his argument is. And is there any sense that this could eventually move the team toward a sale? Possibly. And again, we've seen this multiple times before uh, with family disputes, um, over the years, uh, Denver Broncos, Miami Dolphins, uh, the you know, Orioles Washington. are like maybe for sale, maybe not. Right. In the baseball sense, um, you know, the, what's going on with the Angelo situation. We've seen this multiple times before. So the short answer to your question is maybe. Um, again, we've just got to sort of see how this plays out, that we've got um, Janice and Cal McNair fighting this, uh, you know, against the other son. Um, we've got to see how this plays out. But if Robert Carey McNair is successful in getting control of that estate, presumably he would have the wherewithal to go do what he wants to do with the assets within the estate, which include control of the Texans. So um, the short answer is maybe. Yeah. And also, I mean, I don't think this is going to, you know, alter how the, the game goes against the Browns in the wild card round, but could we be seeing, you know, effects, um, you know, in the, in the organization, you know, affecting things on the field at some point. 
downstream here. Uh, on the field, that's a little bit of a further stretch, but in the argument, uh, the opposition papers that Janice McNair has filed, she did sort of talk about impact upon the employees and the business operations of the team that could you see potentially somebody who's working for the team maybe wanting to look at another career opportunity because they aren't sure what's going on at the top of the org chart? Maybe. Uh, could a another you know, potential sponsor look elsewhere because of what's going on at the org chart. Maybe. And this is the kind of thing that she's sort of alluding to. Um, so we would probably see any effects should they actually be real and tangible on the business side before we really start looking at things on the football ops side. And anything else you're watching out for as this narrative evolves? Always, uh, you know, does Roger Goodell or anybody else in the league office weigh in on this? Uh, these kinds of things, historically, the stance from the league office is to sort of monitor, but sort of publicly sort of play it back and let the family matters play out as family matters. And it really only if it becomes the real issue with the functional operation of the team and compliance with league rules, does the league office actually have to get involved? We're nowhere near that stage at this point, but um, if this continues to sort of escalate, um, you know, we could see a, theoretically a situation where the league office has to step in. So that's, that's always another shoe that I'm looking to see if it drops. Yeah, absolutely. Eric Fisher, thanks so much for joining us on the show. Always a pleasure. The NBA is next in line for a Netflix docuseries. The Last Dance, which focused on Michael Jordan, helped launch this current wave of sports docs, but that was backward looking. This one will be more along the lines of Quarterback or Drive to Survive, which give the inside story of the most recent season. Like Quarterback, this show will be co-produced by Peyton Manning's Omaha Productions and will also involve LeBron James's Spring Hill Company. Unlike Quarterback, this one's all about the star power. The NFL show had a superstar, Patrick Mahomes, a very good quarterback in Kirk Cousins, and a guy struggling to keep his job in Marcus Mariota. By contrast, the NBA group might be the best starting five in the league if they were all on the same team. The series will focus on LeBron James, Jason Tatum, Jimmy Butler, Anthony Edwards, and DeMontis Sabonis. That gives them a player in the Northeast, Southeast, Northwest, Southwest, and Edwards, who plays for the ascendant Minnesota Timberwolves, is the one guy in the middle of the country. It also gives them the world's most popular player, that being LeBron, and possibly the quirkiest star in the league in Butler. Google Emo Jimbo if you don't know what I'm talking about. The series adds even more fuel to the NBA as the league continues to negotiate its next set of media deals, which are going to smash records. Staying with the NBA, Eric Spolstra signed a record $120 million eight-year deal to remain the head coach of the Miami Heat. The total number is the highest in the NBA, but the Spurs' Greg Popovich actually makes the most per year at $16 million annually. Spolstra is just behind him at 15, and in third place is Monty Williams, who makes $13 million per year on a $78 million deal to coach the Detroit Pistons. Yes, the same Detroit Pistons who just lost 28 games in a row. So these deals don't work out every time, but there's growing recognition that a top coach is worth paying for, especially because they don't count against the cap. In November, Craig Council signed the largest deal ever for an MLB manager at $40 million over five years. NFL coaches, who sometimes have quasi-GM roles, can make well into the eight figures with Bill Belichick bringing in $20 million last year. What happens with Belichick next year is still anyone's guess. Up next, I spoke to Matt Miller of ESPN on the NFL coaching carousel, the upcoming playoffs, and if the NFL went too far with its Peacock-exclusive playoff game, that conversation is coming up next.
Joined now once again by Matt Miller, NFL front office insider for ESPN. Welcome, Matt. Hey, thanks for having me. Always such a good time, and, and we have a lot to talk about today, so it's good. good yeah, timing. absolutely. <laughs> Plenty of stories in the football world. So let's start with the, the coaching vacancies. We've got uh, open spots in the head coach position for the Falcons, Chargers, Panthers, Titans, Commanders, and Raiders. I'll need a new head coach. Uh, if, if, say, there were a high-profile coach on the market looking to fill one of those positions, are there any that you would say are more desirable than the others? Yeah, I think I'm going to surprise you and say the Washington commander's job is the most, uh, I would say it's the one that if I were interested, you know, if like if I were going to leave ESPN and, and try to be a general manager somewhere, which I'm, I'm not qualified to do, but we've, we've seen, we've seen people do it, right? I'm not saying I'm going to, um, I would look at Washington uh, for a lot of reasons, new ownership group, which is, uh, I think the right level of involved with Josh Harris. And, and obviously, you know, we have Magic Johnson as part of this group and he's tweeting about quarterbacks and stuff and, and they've done a good job of. You know, I, I think the outreach to bring in Bob Myers, who had such a great run with the Warriors, to bring in Rick Spielman, who had a great run with the Vikings, and obviously it's from a big football family. Uh, I like that they're doing the outreach to say, hey, we want to get this right. This is our first hire since buying the team. We want to get it right. Not only that, they have the number two pick in the draft. They're going to have a ton of money to spend. They have two second-round picks because of the, the Montez Sweat trade to the Chicago Bears. So it's a team that's really loaded with – capital this offseason and it, that number two pick is either going to be a spot where you draft a quarterback like Jay Daniels I don't think Caleb Williams would be there Drake May or you say hey we'll, we'll roll with Sam Howell and a veteran and we'll trade this pick for just a, a ton of draft capital so they're in a really good spot that I think does make that intriguing um, on the other side of that it's funny because these two teams are like not that far apart geographically but the Carolina Panthers I think is a job where and I, I posted about this on social media uh, this week. This is a team that it, they have no first-round draft pick because of the Bryce Young trade. They're, many of their best players are free agents. Um, Brian Burns is a free agent. Jeremy Chin, who was really misused, is a free agent. Frankie Luvu, excuse me, is a free agent. you got to make a decision on Derek Brown's fifth-year option, which I would think is a no-brainer. But this is a team that really – uh, is in a tough spot. You need to remake your wide receiver corpse. You need to remake your offensive line. Like this is a bad spot to be in. And you've got an owner throwing drinks on fans. So not only that, not only it's like, hey, this is a roster that's going to need a lot of work. You got an owner that very shortly into his tenure already has a reputation of, man, do we want to work for this guy? He's fired everyone he's hired within two years, essentially. Uh, the impatience that we all thought would motivate them to make some of these big free agent moves when David Tepper bought the team haven't really happened. So uh, I, I think best situation is, is Washington and worst is Carolina right now. Um, yeah, even if the team was in a better situation, you're still working for David Tepper, which as we've seen is, is, you know, not a stable position. Uh, yeah, I wanted to get your, your thoughts and you already mentioned it, the commanders, you know, making the super team of advisors, which makes a lot of sense given, you know, how high stakes the decision is to, to bring in your next head coach. Does it strike you as abnormal or different or new that, yeah, the person, one of the main people heading this up comes from the NBA? It's not abnormal to me because I think we can even look at Cleveland with uh, Paul DePodesta, who came from baseball. And that move, when they hired him, it's like, hey, we're going to bring more of an analytical approach to the way we run this team. 
there were a lot of snickers in the, in the NFL. And I was probably one of those people firing off their jokes on Twitter as well. It's like, oh, what is – okay, we're going to bring money ball to the NFL. Well, now the Browns are in the playoffs with Joe Flacco at quarterback, and they're getting the last laugh. And they've done a great job of the NFL draft, managing the salary cap. Kevin Stefanski is a higher even. He'll probably win coach of the year or at least be in the top two voting, I would think, for that award this year. So uh, I don't think it's abnormal because – I think what a lot of people miss, Owen, is that they think, okay, we're going to hire, we're going to bring up Bob Myers as a consultant. And you're thinking, what, is, what does he know about football? But it's not about football. It's about team building, culture building. It's about how to run a billion-dollar organization, uh, how to handle the, the superstars that they had in Golden State at the time, how to manage some of those personalities. I would say there's may, maybe no one better who's actually out there available that you could bring in and say, hey, you have experience building a winner. You know, it'd be like bringing in Theo Epstein. Like, I would at least want to hear your ideas. Maybe I'm not going to ask you which quarterback you should draft, but I would love to hear your ideas on how to build a winning culture. Some of the qualities that you look for in a head coach are going to be the same, whether it's the NFL, the NBA, MLB, MLS, whatever it is. Winners are winners. And, and so I think that that aspect of it to me is really exciting. And it also says to me, we have an owner who doesn't think he's the smartest guy in the room. Like he understands what he doesn't understand. And it's saying, hey, let me bring in some people who've done this before. Rick Spielman in the NFL, Bob Myers in the NBA. Uh, you've got Magic Johnson there, who's one of the most successful businessmen in America as well. Uh, so I think it's a really cool approach to say, hey, I, I don't know what I don't know. Let me bring in some people that I can learn from and, and have kind of a cohesive process. Yeah, and the process itself would would give me some optimism as if I were a Commanders fan, just because yeah, I think process is what you want to see from your ownership. Like, you know, maybe they'll nail their first decisions, maybe they won't, but if they're going about it the right way, you know, hopefully good stuff comes of that at some point. Um, one team we did not mention in the the coaching carousel was the New England Patriots. Do you think? They will have an opening, and if they do, is there a spot for an open a, a, a fit for Bill Belichick among the other teams? I would say this is. I know you didn't plan this, but what a perfect segue from an ownership uh, in Washington who's like, let's have a cohesive, collaborative, you know, effort around this. And then you have Tennessee where uh, they just fire Mike Vrabel, and you're like, what the hell are you doing firing Mike Vrabel, who was coach of the year two years ago? He didn't even try to trade him; just fired him, which is wild to me because I do think. Should Bill Belichick leave New England? There's obviously a connection there to Mike Vrabel. And the Patriots have traded for a head coach in the past. It's how they got Bill Belichick in 2000. So uh, I, I think that story would have been, you know, it almost you talk about the NFL script. That would have been right out of the script meetings if they could have traded for Vrabel to be the next Belichick. But I do think that's a likely connection uh, just because the Kraft family's familiarity with Vrabel and the job he did. You know, go back to Ohio State where he was a defensive assistant. DC with the Houston Texans, head coach of the Tennessee Titans. And I think something that's been lost is how many great coaches he developed underneath him with the Titans. You know, we've got uh, Matt LaFleur in Green Bay. Arthur Smith was fired in Atlanta, but still, he's been able to develop guys. So I think that's a natural spot for him. And, and with Belichick, if he wants to coach, there will be an opening for him. Now, that might be Washington where they say, okay, let's bring in someone who knows how to win and, you know, can you know maybe rebuild this defense while – you know, we'd like to have a general manager or at least like a director of football ops that he has to work with and report to. So it's not just one guy running the show. There have been rumors about the L.A. Chargers. You know, Justin Herbert is a really big draw, as is Southern California. Obviously, for somebody who has spent 23 years in New England, Southern California uh, would be a pretty big draw for, for anyone. Uh, I love New England. That, that was a joke. Uh, but I, I do think there will be a spot. You know, the Atlanta Falcons have such a bright young roster 
they just made a bad choice at quarterback. And so I, I think there's got to be a belief there of this is a really bad division. Uh, we get a couple more pieces and some, you know, consistency. Could we win this thing? Could we win the NFC South? So there, there will be a spot for Belichick as long as he wants to go out there. I think he's 15 wins short of the record. Man, I, a couple of years ago, you would have thought that's like one year with, with Belichick and Brady. Now it's like, I might have two or three more years. So I, I do think we'll see him find another home. Uh, I also love New England, spent lots and lots of time there. Now I live in California, and most people I <laughs> know hear her from yeah, like New York, it. Chicago, yeah, yeah. Boston. Yeah. Uh, and, and let's hit on the other, you know, potential uh, high profile coach who could be looking for an NFL home that's Jim Harbaugh. So obviously, just won the college football final. Um, does you, where do you think he's at? Is he, is he out the door? Is he like legitimately? I mean, I know you're not in his head, but. Um, from what tea leaves you can see is what what's his future man back in my bleacher report days one of my first ever jobs on the road was the nfl scouting combine and i was sitting front row for jim harbaugh's the 49ers coach and i asked him a question i don't remember the question because he looked at me like i was the dumbest person on earth and just he had these like very sarcastic press conferences back in the day it's so funny to watch him now and he's like hanging out with reese davis and being so cool i can remember like him sarcastically making fun of me so i'll i'll say all that to say no one knows what jim harbaugh is going to do except for jim harbaugh and i think if you if you ever wanted to jump back to the nfl this is the time to do it you went back to your alma mater you almost got fired you had to take a pay cut you you turn all that around win a national championship We'll see if it's, you know, there's an asterisk next to this national championship or not with all the, the allegations of taping signals and such. But I think if you're going to go to the NFL now is the time. I always thought the Las Vegas Raiders made the most sense until Antonio Pierce did such a great job down the stretch. And I would hate to see Antonio Pierce and Champ Kelly not get that job. But I think Harbaugh is obviously a huge name. He has won everywhere he's been, whether that be San Diego, Stanford, San Francisco, now Michigan. So um, if he wants the NFL, I think it's a lot like Belichick. If Harbaugh wants the NFL, there will be a job there for him. Um, the Chargers would be another one. The, the, the ability to work with Justin Herbert, I think that has to be exciting for everyone involved. Because of what Harbaugh's done as a quarterback developer, I mean, Colin Kaepernick, Andrew Luck, J.J. McCarthy, um, you know, that definitely has to be appealing. So uh, I, I think we would be more likely to see Harbaugh go to a team that has that established quarterback, which would not be the Raiders. You know, we'd probably see J.J. McCarthy drafted. Uh, to to Las Vegas in that, in that scenario, but I, I do think it's it, Michigan's going to offer him a ton of money. They can pay more than anyone in college football if they want to, uh, but it's just a matter of what Harbaugh wants and th- does he want to get back and compete uh, at that same level. Florida State, as you may have heard, wasn't so happy about being left out of the college football playoff, um, and is now you know making some real noises about leaving the ACC. Is there any chance we see another conference death spiral that we saw with the Pac-12 where the big teams start leaving and everyone else says, well, if I can get a a better deal somewhere else, I will. And then all of a sudden you're looking at, you know, a conference that half of it's, you know, gets cut in half very quickly and then kind of goes downhill from there. Um, Yeah. Do do you see anything like that happening or, you know, uh, uh, anything light you can shine on that? I would say the ACC would more likely become the Big 12. You know, when when Texas and Oklahoma started all this, when they decided to go to the SEC, I think a lot of people thought like, oh, no, that the Pac-12 is fine. The Big 10 will never become, you know, what it's about to become. And and here we are, you know, with the Pac-12 having two teams in it and the Big 10 is going to have like 20. The SEC is going to have 16 or whatever. So um, I, I can't see the ACC completely going away. I think you have too many 
traditional powers there, especially on the basketball side of things. You know, what what the ACC is is a basketball conference. I don't think it's going to go anywhere. And I, I think it, you know, it goes back to what, you know, some of these college coaches have said. I think Chip Kelly said it famously of like, we almost need football conferences and then everything else, you know, and maybe we do get to a super conference setup. But I would caution, uh, and I say this as someone who I grew up a Texas fan, I don't know that these massive conferences are going to be the win that everyone thinks. You know, going undefeated in the ACC is still a hell of a lot better than losing three games in the SEC. And I would say, I'm not saying Florida State's a bad team. Maybe they run through the SEC undefeated and then they're automatically in the playoff. But the playoff expands to 12 teams. That's going to take care of a lot of the, you know, kind of upset feelings that we had this year, whether it be from Washington, Georgia, Florida State, or excuse me, Oregon, uh, Georgia, or Florida State. And that's going to help figure out a lot of this. But I don't know that... I don't know that Florida State going to the SEC is going to solve any problems for them. You know, it's like that the SEC is going to become so top heavy that it's, you know, the Pac-12 for years, we talked about, they cannibalize themselves. Like you'd see a great team, you know, through October and then uh, they lose a couple of games because it was so hard to get through that schedule. I, I think we probably are seeing that in the SEC, maybe even next year, there's going to be probably four teams in the top six or seven, you know, Alabama, Georgia is going to be up there. Ole Miss and Texas are going to be up there. So it'll be interesting to see how much that actually helps these teams. And probably the same for the Big Ten. Now you've got Washington and Oregon coming in. They're both red hot. Michigan, no matter who the coach is going to be, is going to be solid. Ohio State's going to be solid. So uh, I think it is it is going to be kind of an interesting dynamic to see if there's some buyer's remorse from these teams. that I, I know they did it for money, but if you're looking at it as like a better way to the playoffs, I don't know that this is the right move to make. Yeah. And, you know, it's, it's money now and, you know, but like, who knows what we're going to be looking at five, right. 10 years from now. Um, let's jump, jump back to the NFL before we go. Uh, playoffs are starting. Let's throw you a super general one. What's what's your big narrative going into this playoff season? Man, I which quarterbacks do we see step up? You know, we've seen Patrick Mahomes, uh, I think, have his worst year. It's not on Patrick. I'm not saying he's you know, don't don't sell on Patrick Mahomes right now. It's not not his fault. But you know, down year from Josh Allen, it's just who steps up. You know, um, I think we've seen hot and cold from Tua. Uh, Dak Prescott was red hot until the December and then cooled off a little bit. Brock Purdy, we were talking MVP until they played the Ravens. So that is kind of the, the big thing for me. I know we have, you know, situations with a lot of backup quarterbacks. You know, Pittsburgh uh, got a backup quarterback in there, obviously. Cleveland's got a backup quarterback in there. But uh, I think the superstar names are still going to drive the league. So it's been a, a largely a defensive, I, I think, NFL season, uh, more so than offensive. But uh, I would expect in the playoffs, hopefully we see some of these quarterbacks come alive. I mean, I, I am excited just to, for some of the matchups we're going to get in round one, um, you know, to see C.J. Stroud get out there on a national level, to see Jordan Love uh, hopefully get some recognition. He's been so good as of late, and I feel like no one's talked about it because uh, we've been, you know, distracted by other former Packer quarterbacks in the news and by other quarterbacks <laughs> who are playing great. So uh, Jordan Love definitely deserves some attention, and, and hopefully, you know, Playing Dallas uh, Saturday night is a great way to get some of that. And just quickly, yeah, you know, perhaps the highest profile first round matchup, Chiefs Dolphins. Um, if you want to watch, you're going to have to sign up for Peacock. Do you think the NFL is? I mean, the NFL seems to be able to do no wrong when it comes to being popular yeah. and getting fans to do whatever they want. Is, is this going to be a bridge too far? You think? I don't think so. Like you and I were talking before I hopped on here. I live south of Kansas City, and I have no idea how, like, yet if I will be able to watch the game on 
regular television or if I'm going to have to, I might have a Peacock subscription. I don't know. I'm going to have to check and see if, <laughs> you know, when they move to the office there, I feel like I probably got one. So I got to check and see, but um, yeah, it's going to be, it will definitely be interesting. I think if you are on social media uh, before that game kicks off, you're going to see a lot of people wondering how they get Peacock. It, I will say PSA, yeah. if you have elderly parents or older parents, like my parents are in their late sixties and seventies, if they're trying to watch this game, just maybe give them a call Thursday, you know, Friday, go ahead and get that set up. So you don't <laughs> have to deal with it right before the game, but it's going to be cold here as well. I think they're talking about zero degrees and a lot of snow. So uh, I think that's the more interesting storyline than where the hell do you actually watch this game? But uh, the NFL, like you said, like what, 92 or some of the top hundred broadcasts this yeah. year were NFL games. The NFL is like the one thing that will bring viewers no matter where they are, you know, whether it's, you know, ESPN plus or NFL plus or Peacock, like people are going to show up. It's, it's the field of dreams. So uh, I think, I think Peacock's going to have a record day would be my guess. Matt Miller. Thanks so much for joining us again. Yeah. Always. Thanks. Shortly after Matt and I finished recording, we got the news that Pete Carroll, who has been the head coach of the Seattle Seahawks for the last 14 seasons, winning a Super Bowl in that time, will be stepping out of that role and into an advisory role with the team. So that makes seven open NFL head coach vacancies. And a little bit after that, we got the news that Nick Saban, who has been you know, one of the mainstays of college football with Alabama winning six national titles in his tenure, will be retiring. College football will be about as different as one could possibly imagine. That's it for today. Thanks so much for listening. We will see you tomorrow.